If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to continue our sermon series through the things that the Apostle Paul says about love in that chapter. It's on page 1220. Also, I want to say Happy Mother's Day and um, hope your Mother's Day celebrations are wonderful and fun. Uh, also, like Jarrett mentioned in his prayer, uh, we know that Mother's Day can be kind of hard for some people. So if Mother's Day is a hard day for you, then uh, we pray that you'll feel God's presence with you uh, uh, more, more than normal and that you'll feel His comfort. Um, also, want to encourage parents of middle, middle school and high school kids, uh, it's, you can now register your kids for camp, the camp that we take our kids to, and it's a good time to get, get that done. Uh, camp is a good thing in the life of the, the youth here at the church. So, let's now take a look together at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. This is God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And we pray now as we worship you through the preached word that you would be present with us, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see the majesty of the Lord Jesus in the things that we talk about. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you would apply the word to our hearts, that we might believe these things and that they might transform our lives. Now, Lord, we want to know you more. We want to trust you more. We want to glorify and enjoy you more, and we are dependent on you for that. So we pray that you will be with us now, that you'll use this time to fill our hearts with love and to change our lives and enable us and excite us to continue to make disciples of our neighbors and of the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're continuing to talk about what love is and what love isn't, and we arrive at the portion of 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says that love is not irritable or resentful. And I think that one of the places most of us are probably guilty of being irritable, perhaps quite resentful as well, is behind the wheel of our cars, uh, if we're drivers, um, or if you have a power wheels, if you're a little kid. Um, and the reason that I think I can go there is because... There was a study done recently by the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, uh, and they found that 80% of U.S. drivers expressed significant anger and aggression and even road rage uh, behind the wheel of their car at least once in the past year. 80%. Uh, this will uh, freak you out a bit. They said that 8 million, 8 million people uh, admitted that they had done something that would be considered more extreme road rage, everything from actually ramming the vehicle in front of you on purpose uh, to getting out of your car to confront another driver, okay? Eight million 
people out there doing such things. Uh, the study showed that 51% of people uh, admitted to purposely tailgating another person because they were mad at them. Uh, 47% of people said that they have yelled at another driver. 45% of people admitted to honking to show annoyance. Now, that's pretty low. Don't you think? I think we're doing all right there, okay? Score one for us. Um, 33% of people admitted to making an angry gesture. Um, whatever that is. And that 24% said that they intentionally tried to block another vehicle from, be able, from being able to change lanes. If you can't say ooh, you got to say ouch. Um, so yeah, so it, there's no question about it. As Americans, we get pretty upset. We get pretty angry pretty quickly, uh, pretty irritable, maybe even resentful behind the wheel. But you know, the, th the reality is it's not just that. It's not, it's not only behind the wheel. We all get angry, we all get upset, we can all be irritable, we can all wind up resentful, and we could say, well, that's just a part of life. Or we could also recognize that it's not meant to be that way, it's not supposed to be that way. We're not supposed to get angry easily, we're not supposed to stay mad at people. And, and as uh, we uh, are working through what love is from what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 here. Now we see that if we want to love people, which we do, then we're called not to be irritable, not to be resentful. And I will tell you this, there, there is good news. We're here to think about the good news of God, what God has revealed to us. And the good news when it comes to irritability and resentfulness is this, that the more we trust Christ, the less irritable and resentful we'll be and the more loving we'll become. It is going to be a deeper trust in Christ that's going to allow us to be more loving uh, through being less irritable and less resentful. That should be good news, and let's, let's talk about that this morning. And I want to do three things. First, let's get some clarity. What, what is Paul saying when he says irritable and resentful? Love is not irritable or resentful. Second, we'll talk about the cause. Why do we get irritable and or resentful? And then third, we'll look at how Christ is the cure. What has God revealed to us? What has He said to us about what changes us, transforms us? Okay, so let's get some clarity. What's He talking about here? Um, Paul is talking about anger. And He's talking about anger from two different perspectives. Both of these traits uh, have to do with anger. Jonathan Edwards said, anger may be defined as an affectionate and earnest opposition of spirit against any real or supposed evil or fault of, of anyone. It's a pretty intense definition. An affectionate or earnest opposition of spirit against any real or supposed evil or fault of anyone. And what I would submit to you that is that that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking, two, talking about two forms of anger. When we're irritable, that means we get angry very quickly. It doesn't take much, and we're angry. If we're resentful, that means we stay angry for a long time. So both of these are forms of anger, whether we get angry real quick or we stay angry for a long time. I think you can see that when you look at some of the other translations. Uh, 
ESV again says irritable or resentful. The NIV, which many of us know, says love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't hang on. Okay, it doesn't stay angry. So if we put it positively, Paul is saying that love is slow to anger and it's quick to get over things, to let things go. And he's, again, I think he's primarily talking about in our day-to-day relationships. He is writing to the Corinthians who in their church, they're having these struggles getting along with one another. And one of the problems in the church at the time is that they're getting angry with one another and they're staying angry at each other. And so when he talks about what love is, he mentions that love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not get angry quick and love does not stay angry for a long time. So he really is talking about anger in two forms. And the Bible says a lot about anger. It tells us a lot about why God calls us away from anger, and it's because our anger leads to more struggle, more strife, more problems. Think about this. Psalm 37 verse 8 says, Refrain from anger, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. And I think we all know that some of the most evil things we've done, we've done in our anger. Uh, Proverbs 14, 29, He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So if we get angry quick, often we're probably making a big deal out of something that isn't that big a deal or we're making a big deal out of something that's foolish. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Somebody who gets angry quick makes things worse. And so we also see, though, uh, not just about getting angry quick, but about staying angry for a long time. In fact, this this is really interesting. Um, So you know how we've been talking about love, and we started out talking about how Jesus says that love is job one, right? He says the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And interestingly, when he's saying that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting from Leviticus 19.18, but he's quoting from the second half of the verse. What does the first half of the verse say? I will tell you. Um, It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that interesting? Proverbs 19.11 says, It is a person's glory to overlook an offense. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now that's important because right there, Paul acknowledges there in Ephesians that there is righteous anger. When there is sin, when people are being hurt through sin, we should be angry about that. There is righteous anger. But even our righteous anger, we don't want to hang on to. God doesn't hang on to His for us, and we don't want to hang on to ours either because of the way it affects us. We're primarily focusing on unrighteous anger this morning, but we should recognize that there is righteous anger against sin. But Jesus takes anger very seriously. 
In fact, if we look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he does something that can be a little shocking in the way he seems to equate anger with another pretty terrible sin, uh, with a sin that we would think is far worse than anger, actually. Listen to this, Matthew 5, 21 through 24, Jesus is preaching. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So Jesus takes anger very seriously, thinks it's something that's very damaging to us. A little bit later in that same passage, he says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift This is very interesting because what Jesus does in that one breath is basically tells us anger is very bad for us, so we should get rid of our anger for our own sake. But if we know somebody's angry at us, we should run to them and try to reconcile for their sake. Because of how damaging and destructive anger is in our relationships. And so Jesus takes anger very seriously. And God calls you and I who follow Jesus to avoid getting angry and avoid staying angry. He's calling us now to love people well by not being irritable, not being resentful. And so we have to ask ourselves that question, you know, do we normally find ourselves getting angry very easily? Does it not take much and boom, we explode on people? Or... Uh, do we find that it's very difficult for us to stop being angry? Some of us might be hanging on to some anger right now. What is the cause? Particularly, what, what is it that, that causes us to get angry, whether it's uh, through irritability or resentment? What is the cause. Let's talk about that. And what I would submit to you is that anger stems from unmet desires. And the reason that I say this is because I think James is saying this in James 4, 1 and 2. He says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? In other words, why are you guys getting angry and fighting over stuff? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I think what we can recognize there then, even though he's not naming the word anger, we know that when we fight, when we quarrel, it's because first we got angry about something. And he's saying that where, that is, where that's coming from is some sort of unmet desire. And that's important that we recognize that because it helps us understand that anger doesn't just appear out of thin air. Something builds and then we get angry or we stay angry. And this is why when you hear about different anger management tools, uh, they don't really help. They might help in the moment, but it's really like lopping the top of a weed off and leaving the root. It's going to come back. And psychologists will tell you that they treat people that are angry all the time. In fact, one psychologist says 90% of the anger people feel in ordinary life is probably unjustified. But nonetheless, there are all these anger management tools out there, and they're all basically the same. I've looked at a lot of different approaches. 
And um, I think the best anger management tool, which in the moment uh, really can be helpful, I think uh, the best anger management tool comes from the very wise, the very insightful, and the very cute Daniel Tiger. That's right. Uh, Daniel Tiger used to be on Mr. Rogers. Now he's got his own show. Okay, he's moving up in the world. And Daniel Tiger uh, will tell you this. If you're feeling mad and you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. Ugga mugga. Right? That's, that's what he does. That's what Daniel says. And if you think about it, that's not bad advice. You get enraged and you take a deep breath and calm down. That's, that's what an anger management tool is. But again... That might help you in the moment, but it does absolutely nothing about stopping that anger from coming back. And God doesn't want us to manage our anger. He wants us to mortify it, to kill it. He wants us to be free from it. If you think about a weed... Uh, this can be helpful because uh, it, if you think about the, your anger is like the top of the weed that comes out of the ground. And if you see it there, then you know what else you know. You know that there's something underneath. There's roots. And those roots, I think we see from what James said, are these unmet desires. We want something and we're not getting it and it's causing us to be angry quickly or it's causing us to stay angry for a long time. It's causing us to be irritable or resentful. And it's helpful to recognize that because if we see that the, the anger is like the flower on top of the weed and then the roots are that thing that we want so bad and then what, the soil where that grows really well is the soil of our own hearts, which last week we talked about, tend to be focused on ourselves, tend to be focused on our needs, our wants, our benefits. And we have to notice the order in which Paul says things, right? He does say, right before he says love is not irritable or resentful, he says love does not insist on its own way. Which means we can see that part of why we become irritable and resentful is because we get so fixated on getting what we want. And we're not getting it, so we blow up or we stay angry. Um, C.S. Lewis says, it is... Only our bad temper that we put down to being tired, worried, or hungry. We put our good temper down to ourselves. And what he's saying is, you know, when we're in a good mood, we're saying, that's the real me. But when we're in a bad mood, we're saying, well, I'm just tired. I'm worried. But that's the real us as well. And so we have to recognize that, that there's, we naturally want what we want. And when we're not getting what we want... We might blow up at the people around us, even if they have nothing to do with us getting that thing that we want so bad. We might stay angry at people just because we're not getting this thing that we want. And so what that tells us is that this doesn't change with little tools, anger management tools. This changes with some deep repentance and true turning away from that natural bent we have towards being self centered and wanting what we want. Now, this comes from repentance that includes very dependent prayer where we're praying, we're asking God, help us not look 
to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Help us not to seek just our own good, but the good of our neighbor. So it comes from deep repentance and recognizing uh, our natural inward bent. And it comes from believing, right? It comes from believing the gospel that Jesus has paid for all of these sins. He's paid for all this anger. He's paid for all this irritability and resentment. The debt is paid. Not only has he paid for these things on the cross for all who believe, but he's now indwelling inside of us to empower us so that we can hear God and by the power of the Holy Spirit move towards love and not being irritable and not being resentful. And I also want to talk about a cure in the sense of something God has revealed to us that I think makes a huge difference in the life of a person who's wrestling with anger. So third, let's talk about this cure. And I would submit to you that trusting God kills anger at the root. And let me explain. Trusting God is what kills anger at the root. And primarily, in this case, talking about trusting that God is sovereign. That He's in control of all things that have ever happened. Everything throughout all of history is, un- is happening as his plan is unfolding. Uh, Proverbs 16.9 talks about the sovereignty of God. It says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So no matter what we are trying to do, what, what plans we have, God is the one who either makes things happen or not. He's in control. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, God says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. All through the Scriptures we have this picture of God is is unfolding this plan, this perfect plan, and everything is going according to plan. Job who suffered so greatly, said no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Our confession and catechisms talk about this. The shorter catechism in question 7 says, what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Now let me pause there. Because I know that talking about God being sovereign over all things can open a can of worms. And that is, we can begin to think about all the terrible things that have happened to us. And we can say, wait, God ordained all that that would happen? And theologically, the answer is yes. But God does allow things that he hates to take place for the sake of the ones that he loves. And I do want to preach on how we are supposed to view evil and suffering pretty soon. But I don't want your mind to get stuck on that right now. I want you to understand that God does allow things that he hates to bring about things that are good for those that he loves. The cross would be the proof of that. Think about this. Acts 2.33 says this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And I would also 
you know, God does have anger. He's angry over sin, right? So we can be angry over these terrible things that have happened to us as well. There is righteous anger. Now, but I want to pull things back into kind of this day-to-day interactions that we're having with people, and I want us to realize why we get angry quickly, why we stay angry for a long time. And we've talked about the cause. The cause is because we have these unmet desires, Maybe it's we really want a new job, or maybe we really want a new car, or maybe we really want things to be better in our marriage, or maybe we really want something having to do with one of our children, and we want it so bad. It may be a good thing that we want. It may be a sinful thing. But there's this strong desire, and, and not getting what we want is beginning to take over us, and that's what the weed is that pops out from the ground. And so what we have to ask ourselves then is when we think about how God is sovereign over all things, then the question we have to ask ourselves if we want things to change is, can I trust God who is sovereign over all things and is not seeing fit to give me this thing that I want? Mark Bates, the founding pastor here one time said that if you're ever mad at anybody, it's God. And what he meant by that is God is sovereign. Everything is happening according to his plan. And what that does, that helps us focus and look to him. Can we trust him? Can we look to him and and believe that if I really needed this thing that I want, he would give it to me? And actually, we can. Uh, Paul says that we can. In Romans 8.32, he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And we would say all things that are truly good for us, that we truly need for our happiness and our joy in this life. And so the question is, these desires that we have, we want something so bad, can we look to God and see that in His infinite wisdom, He's seen fit not to give us that thing now or perhaps ever? And can we trust Him? He gave His Son. Can that allow us to believe that he wouldn't withhold anything that would ultimately be for our good, that would ultimately lead to our joy. It causes us to ask ourselves, why are we so convinced that we know what we need to be happy? Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Can we trust God? Can we trust that there's a reason why we don't have this thing that we want? There's, a, there's an old Chinese proverb uh, or legend, and it's about a man who raised horses, and his name was Sai Huang. And Sai Huang uh, was out with his horses one day, and one of his prized horses ran off. And his neighbor saw, and he came over, and he said, Sai Huang, I'm so sorry that your prize horse has ran away. And Sai Huang said, how do I know this is not a good thing for me? The next day, the prize horse returned, and it happened to have another prized horse with it. And so the neighbor came over again and said, Sai Huang, this is fantastic. I'm so happy for you. Your horse has returned and you have another horse now. And Sai Wang said, how do I know this is not a bad thing for me? The next day, 
Tsai Wang's son got on this new horse and it bucked and threw him and he broke his leg. And so the neighbor runs over and says, Tsai Wang, I'm so sorry that your son broke his leg. And Tsai Wang says, you guessed it, how do I know this is not a good thing for me? And then the next day, uh, the emperor's army came through and said, we are taking all able-bodied men to war. And Tsai Wang's son couldn't go because of his broken leg. And all of those soldiers went off to war and died. Now, the proverb is meant to get people to realize we actually don't know the end result. We don't know if something that we think is good will actually be good in the, in the end. We don't know if something that we think is bad will actually always be bad. Maybe, it's some, maybe it legitimately is something bad, but could it turn out for our good? But we have something better in the proverb. We have, thus saith the Lord. We have God Almighty who has said to us, yes, you can know that whatever happens is ultimately for your good, right? He has said this explicitly in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. Now you put your finger on that thing that you've been wanting so bad and it's not coming and it's making you blow up at people and it's making you stay angry at people. Put your finger on that thing. How do you know if this won't be good for you? How do you know if this won't be good for you? Hand it over to him. Choose to trust him with that. Because what happens is, once we are released from that desire, it doesn't have control over us. Once we trust him with the things that we're not getting, we really are actually actually able to take a breath. And we're able to stop getting so angry, angry quickly or staying angry. Because we've come to terms with the fact that if God really, if this thing really was what I needed for my happiness, He would give it. The the answer is trust. The more we trust the one who gave His Son for us, the more we trust that He will not withhold anything we truly need for our happiness, the more we trust that whatever it is we want He'll give it if it truly would make us happy, but he'll keep it forever if it won't. The more we trust him, what happens is those roots of that unmet desire start to fall apart and dry up. And what happens after that is the flower of the weed starts to wilt. And we find ourselves not getting angry so quickly and not staying angry so long. And we realize that that's a gift from our Father who loves us so much He gave His Son for us and is giving us freedom from being irritable and resentful. What an amazing Father. Don't you want to just give everything over to Him?
Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that um, your word shows us that there is righteous anger. We should be angry about some of the terrible things that have happened, all of the sinful things that have happened. There's good and right anger for that. We also know that there's a lot of unjustified anger and a lot in our own lives. But we don't want to hang on to any anger and we don't want these unmet desires to cause us to blow up at the people that we love and to stay angry at the people that we love. We want to be free from those things and we thank you so much, Lord, that you want us to be free from those things and that we can be free from those things. Would you help us, as hard as it is, to trust you with these things we don't have, these wants? Would you please wilt those roots and the anger that stems from it? Would you please do a great work in us so that we will feel free and that we would use that freedom to love people well and they might get a better glimpse of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.